Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. I met Amanda on a blind date, essentially. We didn't know it was a blind date. We had some mutual friends who were dating, and they were trying to work some magic together to put us together. And it was completely awkward the day that we met. The three of them actually came to pick me up at my house, and uh, I had just gotten the world's worst haircut. I know that's hard for you to imagine right now. But I am super cheap. I've always been super cheap. And with haircuts, sometimes you get what you pay for. And so it was jagged and it was a mess. And then for some reason, because I was in my early 20s and my brain had not fully formed yet, I had dyed my hair red, which the combination of the red dye and my very dark hair just made it maroon and like an awkward maroon. I get in the car. I have this jagged haircut. I have this off-colored hair. And uh, I was so nervous about this awkward invitation because I didn't want to be on this blind date. She didn't want to be on this blind date. Um, I didn't even turn around to introduce myself to her when I got in the car. After a few minutes, she reached forward and introduced herself to me. And then we went to a water park. That's where our friends decided was the best place for us to meet. I had to take my shirt off. No one has ever described me as fit or swole or toned. Uh, None of those words have ever been used to describe me. And that's where we spent our first day. After the water park, we went to a Ripley's, believe it or not. This is no lie. I spent the last dollars that I had at the Wendy's on the way to the water park. I had to ask my friend if he would spot me to to get into the Ripley's, believe it or not. I I, I had zero dollars. This is the condition that I was in when I met Amanda. Everything about our first day was awkward. You know, really, in general, the, the process of being single to dating to getting married is, is just awkward. It's awkward for everybody. It's smooth in the movies. It is never smooth in real life. And so I wanted to talk about the awkwardness today, if you don't mind, because uh, some of the best people that we have in our church, the very best, the brightest, the most fruitful, uh, the most important people are single here at Bayou City, and rarely do you hear a message on singleness, and so I thought we'd spend a few minutes opening the scripture together and talking about that. Now, I want to be clear that I am not an expert in being single. I don't think anyone is, but I definitely am not an expert, and I'm not coming to you like an expert. Uh, I want to come to you as a big brother, if you don't mind, and uh, I know that I can't say everything in the next 25 minutes that needs to be said about your specific situation. Um, Because every person is different in this room. Every single person is different. Every single person is having a different experience with their singleness. Some of you are in your early 20s and you're loving your single life right now. And you can't imagine changing that. Um, If you're single in your mid-30s, maybe you have a different perspective. Men have a different experience in their singleness. Women have a different experience. Uh, If you've been hurt in the past, then your singleness is affected. If you've not been hurt, uh, then you have a unique situation. And so there's no way that I'm going to be able to hit those targets. And so I just want to be honest about that up front. And so if I say some things that are true for you, right where you are, and you sense that that's from God, then write it down and remember it and receive it. And if there are some things that I say that are not true for you, hopefully they're true for the person sitting next to you and you just set it aside. What is most important is that you hear from the Lord today about whatever situation that you're in. And I have a few goals. Uh, Goal number one, if you're a single, I want you to be encouraged today to keep on persevering in faithfulness. Galatians chapter six says, do not grow weary in doing good because doing good takes more effort than doing wrong. 
And so I want you to keep on doing good in your singleness. And I hope today is just an encouragement in that direction. My other goal is that you would feel acknowledged by God in your singleness, especially if you wished you were not unmarried at this moment. Uh, You may have been saying things to God recently like, why not? And I don't understand. And why is this not working out for me? And I hope that today's message will just be a subtle word from God. I see you. I notice you. I know what you're going through and I have not forgotten you. I hope you feel acknowledged. And then for all of us, married or unmarried, a next step. Those are the three goals. But most importantly, what does the scripture say about these things? Well, number one, the scripture says that being married is good. It also says being single is good and wanting to be married is good. All three at the same time. And when I say good, I mean like the way that God uses good in Genesis chapters one and two. When he would create things, the scripture says, and he saw that it was good. It doesn't mean that God was admiring the quality of what was happening. It means that God looked at what he just created and was saying, this is according to my design. That's how he defined good. He created the Water, the dry land, the sun, he saw that it was good. It's according to my design. He created the animals. He saw that it was good according to my design. He created humans, saw that it was good according to his design. And the scripture says that according to God's design, being married is good, being single is also good, and wanting to be married is good. And when it comes to marriage, we see one sentence repeated multiple times in different eras of the scripture. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And in verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the history's first example of TMI right there. (laughs) Now listen to these same sentences spoken by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. Verse 5. And Jesus said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And then the apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, in the epistle that we know as Ephesians, says in chapter 5, verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we have it in the beginning, in creation. Marriage is good. Jesus affirming that. Marriage is good. The Apostle Paul saying marriage is good and in fact it's good in a way that shows how good Jesus is to the church. Being married is good according to God's design. But so is being single. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul again inspired by the Spirit of God writes as a single person. 
And listen to what he says in chapter 7, verse 7. I wish all that were as I myself am. He's talking about his, his condition as an unmarried person. I wish that all were as myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Now, you may have heard a married person say, my wife is a real gift from God to me, or my husband is a gift from God to me. But how many times have you heard a single person say, my singleness is a gift of God to me? Historically, we have had a negative view about being unmarried. In the first century, so in the days of Jesus, there was a rabbi who said, if a man does not have a wife, he is not a proper man. Now, we wouldn't say it like that today, but we might refer to being single as the minor leagues and being married as the major leagues. The minor leagues are for preparation. They're for getting ready. But hopefully one day soon, I'm going to get called up to the big show, the real thing, the main event. But the scripture doesn't talk about being single like this at all. In fact, what the apostle Paul is saying under the inspiration of the scripture is if you can remain single, that's better. That's a very good thing. He's trying to convince the unmarried people in Corinth to remain unmarried. He talks about marriage like retirement for ministry. Like, well, you just might have washed your hands and uh, give up if you're going to get married. He exalts being single over and above being married. But he says it's a gift. His singleness was a gift from God, meaning a calling from God. And he viewed it like that. And he says, I hope you have this gift, but not everyone does. That's why... Wanting to be married is a good thing. Again, in 1 Corinthians 7, in multiple places, he essentially says, if you don't have this gift of remaining single, then go and get married. Be blessed. Go and get married and do it quickly. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So we see all three things, blessed and called good in the scripture. Being married, being single, and wanting to be married. And if you're in that last group, I'm single, but I'd like to be married. What should we do while we're waiting? That's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Now, this is not a passage about being single, but it is a verse written by a single person to another single person. The Apostle Paul, as we've mentioned already many times, has the gift of singleness. He had chosen to be celibate for the purpose of the kingdom of Jesus. Timothy, a son in, his, a son of, in the faith of the Apostle Paul, probably was also single. We can't say that for sure, but there is no reference to a family. Um, and so it's likely that Paul, single, is writing to another person, single, he says this in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So in this verse, we see something that we should move away from, some things that we should move toward, and some people we should move with. It says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, and love. Flee youthful passions. That's cravings. 
Last night, we, as a family, went to Chick-fil-A. We went inside to eat. No drive through for us on this particular evening. As soon as Willa, who's two, almost three, saw the playground, she had to go in. Uh, we wanted her to wait until she had eaten first, but she's two, so you can't reason with her. Whatever she feels is the law of God in our home. She's also our third child, and there's a big gap between our other two and her. So she is the child of our old age. Therefore, we let her do whatever she wants, essentially. So the girl wanted to go to the playground. She got to go to the playground. So we get our food. She's way up at the top. One of us goes in and tries to coax her out of the playground in the Chick-fil-A to eat. She's not having any of it. So we just shrug our shoulders. What are we going to do? I mean, we're only the parents. We go back and we eat. Halfway through eating, we think, you know, these chicken nuggets are getting cold. She's not going to want them cold. So we go back in in a vain attempt to get her out of the playground. She's not having any of it. Finally, it is time to go. Like, we're all done. We're all finished. She is up there. How are we going to get her out of there? I'm too old to climb up there. We don't want to do that. Uh, We also don't want to pull her out screaming, lest somebody call the police on us. So we set a trap for her. One of us hides while the other looks out, and when she starts to kind of come down on her own, we swooped in and got her, then threw her in the car. (laughs) But you can't reason with her. You can't talk to her. Whatever she feels is good. It is the only good, and it is the good that you better conform your life to if you want to be happy in our home. (laughs) Essentially, whatever she craves, that's it. And that's what Paul means with youthful passions. It's just those feelings that we have, those desires, those things that seem to overtake every other ounce of reason in our life. And if you ask the Apostle Paul to elaborate on what he means by youthful passions, the first thing on his list would be sexual sin. He probably means more than that. But he definitely means that we should be moving away from sexual sins. Now, there are two things that we need to know about what the scripture says about sexual sin. Number one, it's any sexual intimacy that occurs outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. I don't care what you label it. I don't care what stage it is in sexual intimacy. It is any intimacy that occurs outside of marriage. It is out of bounds for followers of Jesus. That's first. The second thing we need to understand from the scripture is all of us are vulnerable to that temptation. To confirm that, all you need to do is start in Genesis and begin reading. You're not going to get very far before you bump in to sexual sin. Not just among the worst of the worst. Not just among the evildoers. But of some of the scripture's greatest saints. This was their Achilles heel. David, who the Bible itself describes as a man after God's own heart, had ten wives. And all of those marriages were just legal justifications for his sexual sin to fulfill his desires all of us are vulnerable and all of us are living in a culture that makes resisting that temptation very difficult 
Did you know that Houston has been selected as the first American city to have a showroom for sex robots? That's in the news this week. There's a business in Toronto that's already opened up a brothel of sexual robots. They want to export to America, expand their business, and they've selected our city as the first one. This is the culture that we're living in. And if that is possible, how much more normal does it make everything underneath that seem? And this isn't just a out there, those people. This is an in here, these people. A couple years ago, I, I knew someone at a church who was a Bible study leader, a great teacher for a singles Bible study and had tons of single people coming to hear him teach the scripture. He was single. He really resonated with the men and women who were also single coming to his class. They would come and hear great words from him. Meanwhile, he is sexting the girls throughout the week and then would show back up the next week and teach an amazing lesson from the scripture. So this is not a them out there need to get right. This is a these in here need to be careful because it could be possible. And some of you are experiencing this out in the dating world where a person who follows Jesus has aligned 90% of their lives, but just shrugs their shoulder at this one particular issue. Well, this is too hard to obey. This is too hard to conform. It seems unreasonable that we would deny ourselves like this. We'll just ignore it and hope it all works out. And then maybe we'll just plan on getting married and that will make it all right. I want to show you this really interesting story in 1 Kings chapter 13, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me. I'm not going to read it, but I do want you to see it. It's about a young prophet, 1 Kings chapter 13, and God had sent him to the king of Israel, Jeroboam. And Jeroboam was a wicked, wicked man. And he was leading God's people in a terrible direction, doing awful things. So God sends this young prophet up to speak to Jeroboam. So he gives him the message, but he also gives him a specific assignment while he's on this ministry trip. He's not supposed to eat or drink. So I want you to go and speak to King Jeroboam. But while you're going there and on your way back, you can't eat or drink anything. Essentially, you're fasting. So he goes to Jeroboam. He delivers this message. Jeroboam says, come and eat with me. The prophet says, I'm not allowed to. God told me to tell you this. And he also told me I can't eat or drink anything. So he delivers the message. He does what he was supposed to do. On his way home, an older prophet had heard about him and sent word to the younger prophet, come and have dinner with me. The younger prophet says, I can't do it. God gave me two assignments to deliver this message to Jeroboam and I'm not allowed to eat or drink anything. The older prophet says, don't worry. God has told me that it's okay if you eat with me. And so the younger prophet says, well, okay. And he goes to the older prophet's house and eats. While they're eating, God does send a real message to the older prophet. Not like the fake one, the real one. That now because the younger prophet has disobeyed God, he's going to die. And so he delivers that message. Can you imagine what that must have felt like for that older prophet? That he tricked this young man into having dinner with him. And now because of that, he's going to die. 
The younger prophet leaves and it says on his way home, a lion came and attacked and killed him. And just so that everyone understood that this man died because he disobeyed God, the man's donkey and the lion that killed him sat side by side next to his body until they came and took his body. This older prophet talked the younger prophet out of his conviction and he faced the consequences. So if you're single and you're out there in the dating world, do not let someone talk you out of your God-given convictions, even if it's another Christian. Even if the guy that you're dating is godly in 90% of his life, do not let that last 10% talk you out of your faithfulness to Jesus. But this is a temptation for all of us, whether you're married or unmarried. That's why the scripture says we need to flee. This word is used in Matthew chapter 2 to describe how Joseph and Mary and the infant Jesus left Bethlehem to go to Egypt to escape King Herod. It's escape, vanish, run from youthful passions. And then it says what we are to run towards. Move toward righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness is conforming to the will of God. It's doing what's right in the eyes of God. Which means that in this world, we will have to distinguish which definition of right we are going to listen to. Because there's a right for God's people and there's a right that the rest of the world has agreed on. And those may not be the same definition. So at some point you're going to have to choose which right you will listen to. We have to conform to God's will. This is, this is what righteousness means. And, uh, hopefully you are... Um, doing good upkeep on your vehicle and every once in a while you need to have your tires aligned, your wheels aligned. They try to upsell you on that whenever you get your oil changed. Every once in a while you should let them do that because it's aligning the front tires with the back tires. If you run over enough curbs, uh, if you get in a fender bender, if you go too fast over speed bumps, uh, your front tires can be moving and tilted in one direction while your back tires are tilted in another and it's not good for your car. When we say conforming our lives to the will of God, we're talking about alignment. This is where Jesus is headed in his righteousness and I have aligned my life to be moving in that same direction. I don't want to be tilted just even, even one degree off. I want to be totally aligned with him. We need to be moving towards righteousness. We need to be moving towards faith, towards trust, which can be incredibly difficult in a season where you have unmet expectations from God, where you have unanswered prayers, where you have 
longings that have gone unfulfilled. It can be hard. It can be vulnerable to put our future into the hands of a God that we're not sure that we can trust. And whenever I'm in that season, I just ask myself one question. Do I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Now, I know that seems like an odd question when we're talking about our pain and our frustration with God and we don't understand. And why did you let this happen? And why did you not respond faster? Why on earth would we ask about Jesus? Sometimes in my life, I can't see through the fog of what God wants and what I want and parts of my life that I am submitted to him, but parts of my life where I'm selfish, sometimes I can't distinguish between, is this a good thing in this moment or is this gonna be a harmful thing? That's foggy to me sometimes. So I go back to a question that I believe that I can always answer. Was Jesus raised from the dead? And I believe that there's historical, secular evidence that says that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person He was truly crucified by the Romans and that his followers believed that he was alive. So committed were they to that belief that they gave their own lives in persecution and suffering. So I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, if I believe that, then I'm gonna believe everything that Jesus has said. And he has said that God is my father and that God has a character I can trust even if I don't understand. That God has a plan for my life that aligns with his plan for Jesus and that Jesus has said that he would never leave me and he would always be with me even to the ends of the age. So even when I have unmet expectations from God, if I can go back to my belief and trust that Jesus has been raised from the dead, I can find my way back to trusting in God's goodness even if I don't like his timing. We need to move towards faith. We need to move towards love, it says. Who has God given you an opportunity to love right now? If you are single, I have never met a person who goes the extra mile in loving their spouse and is cold towards other people. Meaning... If you have visions of being an incredible husband or wife and loving them with everything in you, it's the same kind of love that loves people who are different than you, that loves friends, that loves strangers. Rarely is there a great spouse that is also not a great person. So practice love now. If you are waiting for the love of your life, who in your life right now can you be loving? We need to move towards love. We need to move towards peace. That's a sense of rest and contentment in our soul. We want to pursue peace with God in our singleness, but any season in which we find ourselves disappointed with God, but specifically in our singleness because you need to be able to distinguish between a healthy desire to be married and an idolatry of marriage. See, in the Old Testament, when Israel was tired of waiting on God, they would turn to the idols of the nations that surrounded them. So if you were a young couple in Israel, but you were having a difficult time getting pregnant and, and the God of Israel was not answering you fast enough, you would be tempted to go and make an offering to the idol Baal, who the Canaanites worshipped. 
Because with Baal, there was a formula. If I offer this in a high place, then Baal, who is the god of fertility, will make us get pregnant. So they would turn to these idols whenever they were tired of waiting on the one true God. That's the story of the golden calf. When Israel makes a golden calf in the image of God, the reason they do that, Exodus tells us, is because they were tired of waiting for Moses up on top of the mountain. So when we get tired of waiting for God to move or to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, we're tempted to grab onto something else and say, this will make me happy. This will fulfill me. Or this person will fulfill me. Or this person will give me what I need. We don't want to make any of life's most important decisions being frustrated with God. So pursue peace with God. Pursue peace with other people. Pursue healthy relationships with other people while you're single and after you're married. Healthy people can spot sick people. And I can't think of anything more valuable while you're single than being able to spot a potential sick person while you're dating. You know that person who um, has the flu, but they always say that it's food poisoning? You know who I'm talking about? Oh, I spent all last night throwing up, but I'm here and I'm breathing in your face. But don't worry. It's something I ate. It's like never something that they ate. People who have really had food poisoning and have come through that, they know the difference. And so right now, while you're single, you pursue health. You pursue a healthy life. You pursue emotional health. And you'll be able to spot people who are not yet healthy. You can save yourself a lot of trouble. But pursue peace with God. Pursue peace with other people. These are the things that we need to move towards and we need to make sure that we're moving with other Jesus followers. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And Joel chapter 2 verse 32 is the original that the Apostle Paul is quoting here when he says all of those who call on the Lord. We won't turn there just for time's sake this morning, but God's message through the prophet Joel is return to me and call on me. And in Joel's message, essentially you are in one group or the other. You're a part of people who are returning to God or you are not. So what the apostle Paul is saying under the inspiration of the spirit is we are pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who have decided to follow God. We can't do this alone. Godliness in isolation is almost impossible. You win wars when you show up with the most troops. And if you just show up alone to fight, you'll almost always lose. That's why God gives us the church. Because we grow weary in doing good and we need to see that I'm not the only one out there trying to do good. I'm not the only one out there trying to be righteous. I'm not the only one trying to be single and walk with the Lord and be faithful to him. I'm not the only one. I'm surrounded. This list that we've talked about this morning, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, was not meant to be pursued alone. So what should we do next? 
Well, we should start connecting. Married people should connect with single people and single people should connect with married people. When Amanda and I were dating, so we were still single, I worked with a a man who was a few years older than I was. He was in that next stage. He had been married for a handful of years. They already started having little children. And we both lived out in Northwest Houston. And so he would invite me to come and have dinner with them and sleep on their couch at night. And so I would leave my car. We would drive out there together because we had to drive back into town for work the next day. And we would have dinner together and we would talk. And, and I just got a front row seat to their life and, uh, and to seeing their marriage, the good, the bad and the ugly. Sometimes it's like, I don't think I should be here for this conversation. <laughs> This is a little bit awkward, you know, go fight in your bedroom. Don't let the kids see you fight. I don't want to see you fight, you know, Um, but I got to see the good parts of it too. I got to see the good, the bad and ugly of them having little children and balancing life and ministry. It was really helpful. And a lot of the husband that I became and the dad that I became was because I got to watch them in their home. And we didn't do Bible study together over dinner. We didn't pray. They just invited me in. He offered that to me. What I offered to him was a ride on the HOV the next morning (laughs) so that he didn't have to sit in traffic. But he went out of his way. They went out of their way to invite me into their life. They connected with me. We all have something to offer one another, no matter what season of life we are, whether you're old or young, married, unmarried, with kids, no kids, divorced, widowed. We all have something to offer. Our vitality is in our differences. So we need to make sure that we're connecting. Those of us who are married, we need to make sure that we're really good brothers and sisters to those who are not married. And then if you wouldn't mind letting me be a big brother for just a second, single people need to connect with single people. And I want to encourage you, if you're single, to expand your circle. Maybe literally your circle. When church is over, that's what you see. You see circles. It's good. People are talking. What would it look like for you to expand your circle? I think we live in a society right now where the idea is that I find two really great friends and they become my only friends. And they answer when I text them immediately. If they hesitate for even a second, they are mad at me. If I want to go to dinner, they are obligated to say yes. When they want to go to dinner, I am obligated to say yes. We do everything together. What if that was nice, but not good? What if God wants our circles to be a little bit bigger? So we have a few more friends. Because you never know when a five-minute conversation might turn into a 10-minute conversation, which might turn into an hour conversation. And you found a new friend that a year from now, you can't imagine your life without. And then you never know when a friend becomes more than a friend. And it will be awkward, no doubt. But life is awkward. So we just got to embrace it. We all need to be moving away from our youthful passions. We all need to be moving towards righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And we need to make sure that we're moving towards those things together. And if you're single, most of all, what I want you to know today is that your church loves you very much. 
we would not be the same without you. That's why we don't have a singles ministry here at Bayou City. Because our singles are the best of us, the smartest of us, the most fun. Married people are super boring. (laughs) So why on earth would we take the best of us and say, why don't you guys just go over there and hang out together? (laughs) We love you. And I cannot imagine this place without you. And I want us to do our very best to be a really great family for you. Because being married is good. Being single is good. And wanting to be married is good too. Let's pray.